Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Dear Past. Thank you. You are listening to episode number six. And first of all, I just want to say happy Friday and happy Easter. And then also just want to thank everybody so much for the love and the support um, that you have all given me um, about this podcast. I it's just hard to believe that I'm already on episode six and I'm just so excited for my future guests and just everything that this podcast is doing. Um, I love connecting with people and it's just been so much fun. So um, just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you, everyone. So um, this next guest, you've heard from her before. You heard her on episode three. It's called Next First Steps. Um, her name is Allison. And before I go further or before we dive into this next episode, if you haven't listened to episode three, I encourage you to do it. She has a fantastic story that she shares. Um, she's just, a, it's a 43-year journey about loss and trauma and divorce and it's a very very powerful and emotional story so I encourage you to listen to that before you listen to part two of Allison's story Um, part two she's going into just dealing with the trauma and the loss and how to overcome it and she talks about um, you know some six steps that she takes on a daily basis just to get through um, or how she got through it all so um, again, it's just a, another powerful story by, by Allison, and I'm just really excited that she decided to do um, part two of, of her story. So enjoy the episode, and we'll see you next time. Allison, thank you again for coming back to Dear Past Thank You. I'm happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about, I, I guess before I, I get fully started, um, let's talk about just for the the listeners that maybe haven't, that are choosing to listen to this episode and not going back to listen to the, the first episode, but let's just give a really high level of um, maybe what that episode was about. And um, I'd like for you to touch on next first steps as well. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, so my first episode, I really just opened up and shared my story of. Um, really acknowledging lifelong trauma, starting with abuse in childhood through, um, you know, loss of five pregnancies to traumatic accidents um, with my marriage, and then ultimately resulting in the end of my marriage due to uh, narcissistic abuse. um, And also the loss of lots of friends and family when confronting and standing up to that narcissistic abuse. So um, that is what I'm still walking through, wading through. Um, I, it's a lifelong journey as we just talked about, and we'll hit on a little bit more. It's a lifelong journey of healing and, um, becoming a survivor, not a victim. So. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, I just think it's, it's so awesome that you wanted to come back and kind of talk about some of those resources and tools, because, you know, there's definitely listeners out there that this may resonate with them and they may, may be going through something similar, but they might be stuck in a position where they just don't know where to go or how to navigate through life or, um, you know, the, the tools and the resources, they may not have those readily available to them. And I think that you are doing so much good in the sense of just thinking about every little thing along the way. I know in the last episode, we talked about, you know, just even filing some paperwork and really just understanding like the terminology of the paperwork. And you said, you know, you didn't have the resources, you sat at the library and, you know, just did the research yourself. So um, what you're doing is, is fantastic and such a, such a great resource for, for anyone going through, um, you know, 
uh, similar trauma. So if you wouldn't mm -hmm. mind um, talking about next first steps, and then you can also kind of get into your um, resources and, and tools. Yeah, so next first step, as I explained in the last podcast, is my nonprofit that I'm working on. Um, as um, you may or may not heard in the first episode, I was left with a penny in the bank. Um, my ex had an attorney. I did not. Um, when I reached out to family that more than was capable of you know, loaning the money for an attorney, I was told no. Um, and so I was left with, you know, and after you're rejected from family and close people that are supposed to be there for you no matter what, um, I was not going to ask anybody else for help. So um, I did sit in the top building of the King County Superior Court building, um, teaching myself how to reply to, um, you know, um, being served with papers that I didn't know what they were. Um, he had an attorney that came aggressively hard at me after I had, you know, um, protection orders and was reporting the abuse. And so, um, my hope and my goal is to be able to help people, um, in my position, just know what to do next. Um, and I talk about how I was able to do that, but a lot of people aren't able to go sit in the top of the law, um, library at the courthouse. And so, um, and sadly for like the middle-class women, it's really hard because the wealthier end can, you know, have resources that are available to them for attorneys and private investigators and all those kind of things. And then the low income, um, or poverty level, there is tons of resources that I don't even know a lot are recognized. You know, Salvation Army will provide attorneys and representatives in court. But if you're that middle of the road, it's really, really hard. And you get stuck with, like myself, accumulating six, over $60,000 in debt to try and protect your kids and represent yourself. So my goal is to help as many women as I can, um, know what to do next, what not to sign and, um, just know financially, emotionally, legally, what, what they are entitled to, um, and to help them through the process. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And, um, you I mean, I think that you, you did mention in the last podcast that, um, you know, that eventually you hope to write a book. So I think this is all so wonderful that you're taking everything that you're learning and, you know, just kind of applying that to, um, to the book that you're writing. And, and hopefully, like you said, just being able to help the women out there that, that just don't know where to go. Um, I didn't know that about the middle-class women. I guess I just didn't think about, I, I was thinking more, you know, middle-class and maybe like the poverty, like, you know, just don't have money for attorneys, but I didn't realize that there was resources out there like the Salvation Army to help those mm -hmm. that, you know, can't afford it. However, like you said, the middle-class, there's really no options for them. That's, that's shocking to me. Well, and the hard thing is, is like, they'll look at your tax return and they'll look at, and I'm like, but I had a husband at home who was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. So now, you know, my tax return is not equivalent to what I am now. So a lot of times they'll take your financial information to see if you really are in need of help. And so, um, it's just, there's a lot of things that need to change in our system, a lot of things. And, um, one of the things that was interesting to me is that my ex claimed poverty was provided legal, free legal aid to keep himself out of jail because of child support, um, who claimed poverty, 
But yet when I provided actual financial truthful documents about having representation to protect myself and my children from someone who was harming us, I was told go hire an attorney who requires a ten dollars to $15,000 retainer. So it's really interesting in our system how we protect um, the abusers so much and they get chance after chance after chance. And I would love to eventually change our system somehow to how we are, we are doing things, but that's a long, complicated yeah. journey, I'm sure. Yeah. But it's people like you that, that may end up making that change because you, you know, you're just not going to not say anything and, uh, not, um, you know, fight for not only for yourself, but also for other people, which I, I think is, is mm-hmm. incredible. Um, I, you know, I just thought of something and this is kind of total kind of side note, but I just want to let the audience know that, um, I, you know, Allison got a lot of really good, great feedback from the first podcast and, um, you know, just the, the listeners, just from the numbers of, you know, how I can go in and to see how many people are listening, um, were just continue, continue to rise even to this day, which is incredible. But, um, you did get a little bit of, of backlash for, for the podcast and I immediately felt really, you know, bad. And I told you like, Hey, if you want me to take it down, like I will do anything. I can to protect you. And you even had to like make your social accounts private. They were public and you had to go back to private and that, um, you know, I just felt, I felt horrible, but, and, but I loved your response because I asked you, you know, I'll take it down. You just give me the word and I'll do it. And you said, absolutely not. Nope. They won't win. They won't win. Sorry. They That's will okay. not win. Yeah. And they came after my child. And um, I refuse to let the bullies win. Um, speaking truth is hard. And um, I did make my account private because I have to protect my children. Um, but they will not win. Um, I have been bullied for years. And sorry, I didn't expect to get emotional today. But um but uh, they won't win. And I, you were so sweet to want to protect me and the kids. And I said, no, it's important. What I'm saying is important. And I need other women to know that they don't have to hide. They don't have to put up with the bullying. Um, and to give a little bit of, I shared it on my account before it went private, but my child, my youngest has uh, decided to take my maiden name. She, the connection, um, to her dad right now and her therapist, my therapist, school counselors, everyone has said, let her do it. It is her voice. It is her feelings. It is you let her do it. She gets to have control of this right now. And, um, I had posted some artwork after the podcast that my child had done. that was incredible. And she signed it with my maiden name as her last name. And I, between the podcast and that, um, I got some really ugly, nasty, messages and they're trolls. They're people that don't even want to show their true face. And I know exactly where it comes from. And I just said, you won't win. You won't win. Nope. Good for you. I appreciate appreciate you. 
Yeah. And that takes so much courage. I mean, just the courage that you had to, to speak um, about your past and the trauma that you went through. And then it's like, it doesn't end. And then, you know, just to, like you're saying, to speak your truth and not allow the bullies to win. So it just takes a lot of courage along the way. So thank you so much for that. That's, um, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's jump back into, um, let's go ahead and talk about some of the resources that, you know, have helped you along the way. I know that you've mentioned, okay. you know, yeah. therapy and grief counseling, um, things like that. So for the listeners that, you know, are maybe <coughs> looking for some resources and some tools, let's talk about um, your, your six steps. Yeah, so this is something I have really um, worked on journaling. Um, you know, we talked about mentioning that maybe someday I'll write a book. I realized through my sharing on social media posts and my journaling and my note keeping that I really had, and I'm no expert. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a writer. I'm not any of these things, but I realized I had accumulated, um, really through my process steps and tools that really, in my opinion, not only just helped me survive, but thrive through, this very traumatic, complicated, um, mess. And, um, I think the first thing that happened for me is exactly three years ago and three days ago, um, when I said no more and I told my then husband that he needed to go, he refused. So I took the kids and I left. And, um, I think that day was so pivotal and it's almost like I got smacked in the face with acknowledge and that's the first word that always comes to my mind, acknowledge something has to change. Some people will say hit rock bottom, but it was what my children witnessed that day in the traumatic explosive episode that had really, now in hindsight, I had known, had done in quiet and private, behind closed doors, whatever you want to call it, towards just me, flying monkeys, um, scapegoating, passive aggressive, not so passive aggressive. I realized it was coming out. And it was more and more visual and things were getting scary. And I learned some really scary stuff about, you know, gun purchases and all these kind of things where I went, it, it's, it's just like, I got smacked in the face and I had to acknowledge that this had to stop. And mm -hmm. that was my first step of acknowledging. And it looks different for people in a lot of different ways, but mine was a dramatic exit with my children because he was so out of control. And I knew walking down that street with my children, waiting for my mom to come pick us up, that that was my, that was it. That was it. Like there had to be some really, really drastic things for this to ever get better. But I lived in it for so long. I had lost faith that it would. So acknowledge is number one. Acknowledge there's a problem. Um, I have learned through therapy and trauma coaching and all this stuff that it took me a long time to acknowledge it. And I had people say to me, I would have never guessed that you, you know, you're so happy and cheerful and you, on social media, you guys had this fun life and you were going to do all these great things. And I think it's because I myself couldn't acknowledge it. And that's, I think what we get caught up in. It's not pretending it's not happening. It's not living a lie. It's that you truly can't acknowledge that this is happening to you. Um, the next step is get help. And I talked about, you know, me going for financial help, um, but there's, there's very, and these can get very specific, but some very broad things in getting help. It's financial, it's emotional, like right away, get emotional help, find your support system and your tribe, your community, because immediately I didn't tell people for quite a while how bad it was and what was going on, but I had that core tribe of people 
that were watching out for me and that I could say to them, it's getting really bad. It's getting really bad. And unfortunately, I initially reached out to my family and that didn't, as we talked about in the last podcast, turn out super well. And um, one of the things I want to acknowledge is that when you're dealing with a narcissist or a sociopath or borderline personality or whatever, uh, a lot of times they are setting you up for a long time and you don't even know it. They are grooming your friends, your family. They are causing a divide. They are causing a rift. And so that was really hard for me when I was rejected by my family. And so I had to find my community of friends who I lost some best friends, but I had Mm -hmm. these, this core group of people that were like, we are here for you. We've got you that showed up at my door that, um, you know, came and said, Hey, he's sitting down the street called me. I mean, there was things where I had people that were truly looking out for me and my children. And no matter where you find that tribe, you have to find them. If it is online with a trauma group, if it is, and I, I meant uh, in the last podcast that if it hadn't been for social media and friends connecting me, that's how I found my trauma coach. My life coach is a friend tagged me in something that said, Hey, Allison, I think you would really, really like to talk to her. Um, and come to find out we had similar stories and very similar and we've become great friends since, and I'm decorating her house and, you know, just ended up being this amazing connection through social media for somebody that I would have probably never known in my life. So find your yeah. community and find your tribe, no matter where it is. If yeah. it's a support I think group. That's so it's important a- too, because, um, not a lot of people have family close to them and so they can't mm-hmm. lean on family. I mean, they, you know, hopefully they have friends that they can lean on, but even the people that are, you know, far away, you can lean on those people to help. And that's kind of where mm-hmm. that whole social media thing came in for you is, you know, mm-hmm. people near and far just really kind of pouring into you and, and helping you out. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's important for people to know. So, it, it, you know, you don't have to have just the support group within your your community. Just look for the support. Yeah. There's lots of supporters anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. And it's interesting because I had someone recently say to me, Allison, you have so many friends and you have so much network and you have so many people. And I said, but you know what's interesting? It's interesting how quiet that gets when you're going through something that people don't want to acknowledge. They don't want, it's too hard for them to hear or they don't want to believe it. And dwindles. And, And don't get me wrong. I am so blessed. I have the greatest amount of tribe supporters friends, loved ones, get all that stuff. But it's interesting how quiet that group gets when you're going through something hard. And that's when they say the saying, you know, who your true friends are. And people have come back to me and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I disappeared. I'm sorry that I, and I said, that's okay. Everybody handles something differently. But to myself, I say, but now I know what I can trust with that person and I can't. And so who your safe person is and who your safe person isn't. So, um, and then also physical. So not only the financial, the emotional, which is therapy, get in therapy, do not delay, get in therapy right away. My therapist, I mean, like praise her. She's seen my crazy. She's seen my everything. Um, get in therapy there. Therapy is not a bad word. In fact, I truly, when people are like, ashamed or embarrassed to admit they're in therapy. When people say I'm in therapy, I'm like, you are a good rad person. Like you are the raddest person I know because you're willing to admit that we're all, we've all got stuff. We're, and and I truly believe people that are in therapy are trying to be better. They are trying to be better people. They're trying to heal. They're trying to 
self-reflect. And um, one of the biggest things I had to learn through this, um, and I talked about it later in another step, is I had to self-respect, self-reflect, and accept my part in this. I didn't ever accept or take responsibility for his abuse or his choices, but I had to reset. I had to accept my role in how I reacted. And I had to accept my role in how long I let it go on. I had to accept my role in maybe what I could have done differently. That And people get caught up in that of don't accept abuse. Don't, and I'm not accepting anything he did. I'm not accepting mm-hmm. he is one. I will not take responsibility for his choices. I will not. I mean, we went and tri- we had trial in court where I said, uh-uh, I'm not taking responsibility for his choices. I'm not. But I do accept what I could have done different. I do accept where I could have been a better wife. Would that have excused or changed his abuse? Absolutely not. But it's an opportunity for me to self-reflect on how could I be better or do better next time? And so I think that's a really, really crucial part of getting help. That's the, you know, number two, getting help. It's such a crucial part of owning it, of owning your part in the past. Um, and then the next part of getting help is just document, 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 document. The one advice I did get, um, I did have at one point I was at the courthouse and I was struggling to reply to their temporary parenting plan. I didn't thought of it. Somebody had said, sign this and it ended up really not being a good thing to sign. And so, um, most courthouses, I want to tell you, I'm getting help. Most courthouses, you can go to their um, they'll have two places. They'll have a domestic and family aid room where you can help getting a protection order or a um, restraining order. They will help you fill out the paperwork and walk you right to the judge and stand there with the judge with you. Um, I believe most superior courthouses have this. Um, what they did is they helped me get my initial protection order when I found out about guns, um, crazy behavior, erratic behavior, you know, trying to purchase cabins in the woods, all this stuff. I immediately went and I got a protection order saying, I don't know what's going on here. He suffered a brain injury. He's out of control. And I just found out he owns guns that I didn't know about and he purchased guns I didn't know about. So they immediately granted a protection order until we could start to work through this. So that is available for anybody who is in that type of situation. The other spot that I believe, and I could be wrong, but I know it's in most superior courthouses, is um, a room or a uh, section that will help you fill out paperwork. They cannot give you legal advice, but they will help you understand what does this mean. If I sign this, what does this mean? What do I need to fill out? What don't I need to fill out? And I have a picture and the stack is about this big of all the paperwork I had been served and I had to reply to without an attorney. So I went and I just sat and you get there, you get there early. They open at nine, you get there at eight 30. Cause there's a long list, long line. Um, there's normally like a $25 filing fee. If you're low income, they, you just fill out the paperwork and they'll waive it. Um, so those two resources are huge. Um, what, at least to help you if you're served or whatever, while you're trying to find an attorney. So um, those are the, the main things for getting help, financial, emotional, physical, um, finding community and document, document, document. Um, one of that first woman that helped me get a protection order, she said to me, she says, I'm not an attorney. I don't provide legal advice, but I'm going to tell you right now, document everything, keep a journal, do a Google calendar, whatever you need to do. And mm-hmm. I documented everything so that 
when you're in trauma, you shut things out. And so yeah. I would go back and read my notes from me before. And I'm like, I forgot he did that. I forgot my kids went through this. I, so when we went to trial, I had Google calendars of everything. I had journals of everything. I had printed out the text and I stuck it right in there so that I didn't have to go back and do all this work. And so that is the biggest thing is document. Um, can I stop you? I'm sorry. Yeah. Can I stop you really no, quick? So you went you're through, good. um, you went through financial, the support system, therapy, uh-huh. uh, documenting yeah. everything. And then, um, the physical, was that the, ther- the therapy oh, yeah. part? No. So the physical for me, sorry, I skipped over that. The physical for me was, I really took up running again. I've always been a dabbler with running. Um, but the physical was creating a safe space. So mm-hmm. mine was whatever I needed to get rid of in the house to not have me trigger. I got rid of it. Whatever I needed to do to, um, it's a fine line of keeping it normal for my kids. I didn't say a bad word about their dad. I didn't say a bad word. Um, that's some of the other best advice I got was he will show who he is by his true colors. You don't need to do it. You don't need to give your kids any reason to come back and say, you talked bad about dad or you made me feel this right. way. And I did not say a bad word. It's the best advice I was ever given. Um, besides document is don't talk bad. I mean, I bought gifts for the kids to give him on holidays and birthdays and I offered extra time and I offered all these things. And I, sadly, he did show his true colors and my kids saw for themselves. So now as they're dealing with this, it is their mm-hmm. own experience, not mom's. Yep. And so um, your physical space needs to be safe. I had the locks changed. I got a ring doorbell. I did a key code on the door so that I knew who was coming and going. And was I paranoid? Absolutely. But I refused to live in fear. So I did whatever I could to create a safe space for me and my kids. Um I, you know, and so, and then also the physical was I started running again. And so anytime to feel dark or going down that rabbit hole, I threw on my running shoes and I just went. Um, so whether it's going for walks or going and sitting in a sauna or getting a massage or whatever it is, going to dinner with girlfriends, whatever that physical is for you, that's going to make you feel safe and okay, then do it then yeah. do it. If it's going and walking through Nordstrom's and browsing because you're too poor to buy anything, then do it. If it's whatever it is, that physical aspect of making sure every day I did something for me was so vital. So yeah. vital. Because yeah. if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of our kids. I know we've all heard that. So really right. important, the physical. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, with the whole running piece of it or working out or, you know, whatever your thing is, it's also just releasing, you know, kind of maybe some of that adrenaline and um, Mm -hmm. releasing that tension. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I know for, for myself, like sometimes when I'm really frustrated, I love to box, like, you know, go hit the punching bag. Mm -hmm. And that is like even 15 minutes that I'm just, I'm like, okay, I'm better. Yeah. Yeah. That physical part is really important. Um, okay. I just wanted to make sure I asked about that. So I'll let you continue. Yeah. Sorry. I'm glad you did. Cause I totally skipped over it, but, um, and then step three is my therapist, um, always is like, stay rooted stay rooted, stay rooted, stay rooted. Um, a good friend of an, and I, who actually we discovered the reason why we
common like phrases and stuff. So I got to know her through the community and we realized we had the same therapist. And so we started a t-shirt company called Rooted Thread Designs just because we are constantly like, stay rooted, stay rooted, stay rooted. So step three is stay rooted while owning your own part. And I know I just talked about that, but stay grounded in your truth. I have been told thousands of times now that my truth is not my truth, that I lied, that I made it up, that I, that I couldn't be, but you did. And I can't tell you how many times in the beginning I listened to the bull crap. Okay. Maybe it is me. Maybe I screwed up. Maybe I did something wrong. And then immediately as soon as it's interesting, as soon as I would start to go down this, Oh my gosh, like maybe they're right. Maybe I was wrong. I would get a confirmation with his bad behavior again of, nope, there it is again, there it Mm -hmm. is again. And so stay rooted, stay grounded, no matter what it takes Mm -hmm. through the hate mail, through the, how dare you, your children are going to hate you for letting, like, no matter what I'm like, it stings, it sucks. It makes you cry. And that's okay. Cause I'm going to talk in a minute about the process of how, you know, we process the intake of those things, but stay rooted, know your and my truth and staying rooted is what has got me all this way. And so the same time, and I know I already talked about it, is you've got to own your part. I had to sit and go, what could I have done differently? What could I have? Because if I sit there and go, every single thing is his fault and every single thing he did to destroy and break our family and destroy and try to break me and my kids, you have to own your part. Even yeah. if your part isn't the actual trauma or bad behavior, you have yeah. to own how did I respond? What can I do different next time? What could I yeah. have done? And that I alone, sorry, I just wanted to say that alone no, just shows the type of growth that you, that you have. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, just that owning your truth and, you know, looking yourself in the mirror and telling yourself, I was a part of this. And like you said, I'm not excusing his behavior and I'm not going to necessarily excuse my behavior, but I'm going to own the behavior that I had during that portion, during that time. That is really big. Well, you know, and at one point, sorry, I'm getting emotional again. I wrote him a letter and I apologized after I had been abused, after my kids had been abused, after he did everything to destroy me, take my family, my friends. I wrote him a letter and I apologized for not doing my part in a lot of aspects of our marriage. I apologized Mm -hmm. for not being the wife I should have been at times. I apologized for harder. I apologized for not trying to help him more get help. I apologized for not being what he needed. And, um, that doesn't mean I'm excusing. Right. It doesn't mean that I could have changed or made him. And one of the things I realized through this is that you cannot make someone else happy. You cannot yeah. make someone else get better. You cannot make someone else get help. But I apologized for whatever reason it was that I wasn't able to do what he needed. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard letter for me to write, but also very healing in that... I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. I'm far from perfect. And the sooner I acknowledged my hand in mistakes, the sooner I was going to be able to heal and know that I'm worthy and capable of more, that I'm worthy and capable of more than I got from him in our marriage. 
And that was a hard process. It's very, it's a dark, hard process, but you have to go through it. You have to. Yeah. And I think that just, you know, even like speaking your truth and just being so honest and, you know, the, the courage that you've had to tell your story and the courage that you had to write that letter. And, you know, I mean, apologizing to somebody who had hurt you so badly and so deeply, and not only you and your children, I mean, that just shows, you know, your character and the type of person you are, because, you know, we all have our faults, we're not perfect. And being able to acknowledge that to somebody that, you know, quite frankly, may not even deserve it. (laughs) Um, You know, for you to do that, that's, that's incredible. And, you know, I think that that's just what your kids see, too. I mean, they see, they see everything that you're doing. And um, it's, like you said, I mean, his, his true colors will come out on his own. You don't have to say any of that. And, you know, your kids, your kids definitely, definitely know. Yeah. And I mean, I, I did it with my family. I wrote a letter and I said, I'm sorry if my reaction to what I'm going through was hard for you or traumatic, or I didn't do it right. I said, I am sorry if, but you know, can we all agree that none of us know how we would respond to this? None of us Mm -hmm. know how we would, I've never been through this before. I had a very calm, normal life before this. And so I apologize that my response to my trauma maybe upset them. And, you know, I didn't get a response back. And that was a very hard, I got, I got one sorry, your life has been so hard. And then I got one from another one that says, um, I hope we can just move forward. And I have a large family and I didn't get a response from anyone else. And so it's very telling to me that I can only own my part. Yeah. Um, and then the rest and done, like it's done. Like I, you own your part, you say your apologies, own it, you, whatever you need to do. And then you Mm -hmm. cannot expect a response from anybody. And my therapist always said, Allison, she was kind of hesitant for me to write this letter because she says, I think you're hoping for a response you're not going to get. And I was, and I was disappointed and I cried. I'm like, I just poured out my heart. I apologize that if my reaction to trauma was so hard for you guys and you didn't like it and you, you know, wanted to Mm -hmm. support him and stop talking to me, whatever. Um, it's complicated, but I said, and I apologize for not sharing more of what was actually going on in my life. And I know that this is surprising. And so it's hard to believe because I didn't share, I didn't talk Mm -hmm. to anybody. I didn't tell anybody, but here's the reality of what I was really going through. And so not getting a response back from that was heartbreaking, but I learned through that experience that we cannot set expectations on people of how we want them to respond. So when we do things like write an apology letter, when we do things like, reach out and show some love or compassion to someone, you cannot expect a response or you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. It has to be just what you're trying to get out of it. I was trying to get out of, I'm sorry. I want Mm -hmm. to heal this. I want to, and I did my, I did my part and I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't set myself up for disappointment. So um, that it was a big part of the owning your part. Um, and then my, my biggest thing with staying firm and staying grounded is choosing joy every freaking day. And when I get out of bed in the morning and my feet hit the floor, the first two words that come out of my mouth are choose joy with each footstep is just choose joy. And 
I haven't slept well in years. I, you know, all these things. And so I, I don't wake up super rested and, you know, all those kind of things. But if, as soon as I say, choose joy and I say my morning prayers and I do all of these things immediately, my mind is turns towards, I'm so blessed. I am so grateful. Um, you know, I, we live in a tiny little apartment now, the four of us. And all I can think of is my kids are safe with me with this coronavirus. My kids are safe with me. I'm able to provide a shelter over my kids. And I, I posted on social media how heartbroken I am for the kids and the women that are in these abusive situations that are stuck. And I, you know, it was interesting. We, we went on a walk as a family and two of my kids said, I am so grateful that we don't have to be in that situation right now. We don't have to go every other weekend and be in that situation. And that's choosing joy. That's choosing is substitute of the situation. Yes, we live in a tiny apartment with teenagers and the four of us, but we're together and we're healthy and we're safe and we're happy. And I, I can put a roof over my kids' house heads by themselves. So that is choosing yeah. joy. That is um, the $60,000 debt that I have saying, but guess what? You know what? I will pay it off till the day I die. I would spend every penny because you are safe with me. That mm -hmm. is choosing joy. Instead of saying this sucks, I'm never going to get out of debt. I look, I switch it to worth every penny and Absolutely. I would do it again. And so it's, you know, it's, it's the saying that I learned from one of my fellow Rodan and Fields leaders is everything is rigged in our favor, even the bad stuff. Like everything is rigged. What I went through all growing up and in my early years with eating disorders and loss of pregnancies and stuff was right in my favor to prepare me for what was coming next. And so, um, which brings me into number four, which is to start to educate. One of the, I think most powerful things I did for myself was educate, educate, educate. And I read every book. I got audible. I turned it on when I was running. I turned it on when the kids weren't home. I turned it on in the car when the kids weren't there. And I started educating myself on, um, what had happened to me, what had happened to me. I didn't know what a narcissist was. I had heard it kind of thrown around. I didn't know what a covert narcissist was. Monkeys were, I didn't know what scapegoating was. And I through therapy, um, through the kids therapist, through, um, my trauma therapist through all of these things, I started to piece together what had happened to me. And I started to piece together at first. I was like, Oh, he's a narcissist. He's probably always been a narcissist, but the accident really triggered some uncontrollable behavior. But then I started to realize, Oh, he's a covert narcissist. And then I started to read books about passive covert narcissists and how they get away with it and how they're actually more scary than overt narcissists. Like Donald Trump is an overt narcissist, terrible person, and he doesn't care. He's flamboyant and he's out there. The scary people are the overt narcissists, or sorry, covert narcissists, because it is so hard to prove. It is so hard to detect. It is so hard to pinpoint. You feel like you're crazy. You feel like something is wrong with you. You're going crazy. Did that just happen? Wait, he said it didn't just happen. He just said it. Should I start recording? Because he says he didn't just say that, but I swear he just said that. And it's this the whole process of putting a name to what had happened to you. And once I was able to put a name to it, it's like everything made sense. I found my community of people who had dealt with narcissists, specifically covert narcissists. I found resources for how to handle the situation when it comes up, when I have to interact with him and how to 
but respond and how to not respond. And so Mm -hmm. educating yourself is so important. And I think with any trauma or whether it's addiction, whether it's, um, you know, whatever it may be, any trauma, addiction, infidelity, a marriage, whatever, learning what a name for it, learning what it is, learning, um, how to respond to it and really how to detect it. And so I, it's interesting when, when things, when he does things, my attorney and I, he'll, my attorney will message me and say, don't engage. This is a narcissistic flying monkeys, whatever. Don't engage. This is exactly what it's happening. And sure enough, it plays out to exactly what we were predicting it would be. And so really educating yourself on looking for patterns and putting a name to it, because that in itself is huge. And I also think when you have children um, who have maybe learned some of these things from being around a narcissistic or abusive or, um, um, what's, oh my gosh, I just totally had a, um, addicted addiction parent. I think learning some of these things about your kids and helping them navigate them. When I see certain behaviors specifically from my son, um, I don't ever say like, oh my gosh, that's what your dad is. I always say, Hey bud, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how maybe we could change how we said that or responded to that or be um, really in tune to your kids and maybe some things they've heard or habits they've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the educate part. And that's why um, my kids are all in therapy. Um, I communicate with their therapists about, you know, some habits or some things they picked up. We're dealing with um, some food trauma. I'm not sure if I talked about that last time, but two of three of my kids suffered some food trauma um, from their mm-hmm. dad. So we're talking about, you know, a lot of that stuff. So just Kate yourself, um, be willing to hear from your kid's therapist, from your therapist, what you need to fix, what you need to do different. Um, my youngest therapist has checked me on some things and I have my therapy homework for her and she has her therapy homework. So be willing to educate and just improve and be better. Yeah. I have a quick question about the therapy because, um, you're in therapy and, um, you know, all three of your kids are in therapy. Um, are there resources out there for people that maybe can't afford therapy? Um, you know, yeah. can you talk, speak to that? And I think okay, that's so huge. There's... It's such a huge part and such an important part that you don't want to not do it because you can't afford it. And so I just, I feel like, you know, yeah. a lot of people, um, in a similar situation are just missing out on, on a part of, you know, this, this healing process and, you know, just getting through life. So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, the other thing about therapy I think is, and I'll touch on is, um, don't force your kids in. If you force your kids in, it is going to be not a good experience. They're going to hate therapy. My kids were resilient for a long time. I offered it over and over. Um, they watched me go to therapy every week and come home and talk about what I had learned or, you know, that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until they finally came forward with what had been going on at their dad's house, um, that they said were ready. Um, was not ready, my youngest for a while. And so uh, the older two went for a good year before she did. Um, I put it on a credit card. I was like, I am getting my kids in therapy at any cost. Uh, luckily because of my financial situation, a lot of therapists will work on a uh, sliding, sliding scale. So I, we were blessed to find, um, my oldest, we did not care for her therapist at first. Um, we tried and it was not a good fit. Um, I 
want anyone to talk out about their dad to them. I don't want anyone to bash their dad, but I want mm-hmm. someone to acknowledge that the behavior is not okay. Um, and that one was a little intense. And so we switched, um, and we've been offered sliding scale and I put it on a credit card and some months when I was like, Oh, I can't, we would skip a few sessions, but, um, luckily we asked in our end of our trial that therapy included in the child support and is now court mandated to pay for all the kids therapy. Um, collecting that's going to be a different story, but it is on record. Um, but there are, and the judge even put in our orders, there are resources at health and community centers for people that cannot afford um, therapy. I always said I would do everything in my power to find the best for my kids and pay for it. Um, I think it's really important to find a good therapist. I'm not saying there aren't good therapists at the community centers, but I'm saying it was really important for me to have referrals, talk to people who had been to those therapists, maybe a therapist that my therapist knew that had been really rid with some of her people. And so that was really important to me, not just get assigned to somebody um, that you had no idea of their past therapy. You know. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because um, for people that haven't been to therapy before, you know, don't be afraid to interview your therapist. I mean, this is somebody that mm-hmm. you're pouring into mm-hmm. and that you're going to see on a weekly mm-hmm. or biweekly basis. You need to make sure that mm-hmm. you guys are a good fit. Um, I- I've, I'm on my fourth therapist now and, um, and not because they weren't all a good fit, but, you know, just different points in my life. And there was definitely one that was just not a good fit. And it took me a while to figure that out. But, you know, now looking back, it's, it's really important that, um, you know, you kind of go through that process of, of interviewing your therapist. If you can. And, well, and I spent over an hour on the phone with each one of theirs with, People I like, I've spent an hour and just, they asked me questions. I asked them questions. There were certain questions I would ask that I would say, what's your take on this? You know? And one of the things that the reason why I switched to my youngest therapist is one of the things that, um, that was really, uh, really sad and troubling is a therapist. My youngest saw at first, um, didn't report the abuse that my child told her about and would not get involved when the judge wanted to ask the therapist about that abuse. And I, we switched and I'm like, your job is to protect my child. Mm-hmm. Your job is not to get in the middle of a parent's fighting tip for tat. Like, Oh, I want my kids. No, I want my kids. Your job is to report abuse. Your job. When a, when a judge says, I want to hear what the child told you and you refuse. Mm-hmm. And then even say, I'll get on the stand and make, the mom, my life miserable. If you make me report abuse. And to be honest, I truly believe some people were scared of the repercussions mm-hmm. of getting on the stand. And I understand that. But when you take the job that you do and you're a, you're a court mandated reporter, you have a need to do for these kids. And it took teachers going to teachers, school counselors, which school counselors are a great resource. Also, by the way, they're not, you know, they're not paid training to therapist, but school counselors are a great resource. And my youngest did use a school counselor for a long time until we got her into um, regular therapy. But we went through quite a few people until my youngest report abuse was reported by her therapist she sees now. And that to me is sad and disheartening. And, um, and that is a, that's a question I would ask anybody is 
will you report abuse? And number two, will you be willing when my child tells you what has happened to them? Because I can go in a courtroom and say all I want, but I'm the mom that might be crazy that wants to keep her kids from her dad. But it's the guardian at litems and the parenting investigators and the, the therapists that have to speak for the children. And so that is huge is would you be willing to go on the stand and trial and tell the truth, tell the truth of what you've been told. So um, interview your therapist. Absolutely. But there are resources out there, school counselors. I, I would get your kids into school counselors until you can. Um, but sliding really, scale. Um, ask the therapist if they, if they offer that, that sliding scale, um, yep. you know, for, for payment options. That's huge. That's huge. And therapists don't get in. I mean, I, I am, they make great money, but they don't get into it for the money. They get into it to help people. And so if you're yeah. in a situation tight that month, you can say, Hey, we can just skip or, you know, can I keep a tally for a little bit and pay, you know, whatever, speak, talk to them, ask, because I, how many times people are afraid to ask. Um, but we've, we've, now that we've gone through a couple of rough ones, we actually only had to go through two rough ones and we have had the most incredible luck and blessed with some incredible therapists. So, so don't be, don't be afraid to say, nope, not a good fit and move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Okay. So we've gone through, um, we've gone through acknowledge, get help, stay rooted, educate. We've got two Mm -hmm. more. And then the, um, second to the last one is really quick. It's just use your voice, use it, use it. And here's the thing is that I know it's scary. I know that there's repercussions. You have to be prepared to lose people. You have to be prepared to be told you're crazy. You have to be prepared to be told you're wrong. Um, But you have to use your voice in the legal system. You have to use your voice in religious aspects. And there was some very hard things that happened to me as far as in religious aspects. Um, uh, You know, some my ex did some horrible things and privileges that were taken away from me that shouldn't have been as far as, you know, he, he ceremonies and ordinances with my child while I was out of the country, um, you know, and it was allowed by leaders and did some things that were really heartbreaking for me. But instead of just being mad and angry and I can't believe you, I used my voice and I was like, uh, uh-uh, this is not okay this is Mm -hmm. not okay. And I made sure I was heard. And I made sure that my son knew that there is nothing I wouldn't have done to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I didn't care. And I just, I didn't talk bad about his dad, but I just said, I'm so sorry that happened while I was gone and I couldn't be there. I'm so sorry. But it was because you didn't know. Right. I was out of the country. Wow. And I used my voice. I got, I called and I text from Mexico on a work trip. And I said, how dare you? Yeah. To the church leaders, to my ex, I said, how dare you? He's my only son. And I'll never get that back. But what I said to my son was, I am so sorry I wasn't there. You know I would have done anything to be there. And I'm sorry that happened. But what's most important is you got this special thing, special thing done 
and I'm glad and I'm grateful, but I'm so sorry. I want you to know it. I wanted to be there and I didn't say, how dare your dad do this without me? How dare, I can't believe I didn't, I didn't do that. I just said, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because the most important thing for my son to know is that I would never miss an important thing in their life to be on a work trip in Mexico. Right. And so, um, it sent a very loud message to my son of it wasn't okay. And that's a form of abuse. That's religious abuse. That is, that is not okay. And so, um, use your voice. I used my voice. I was angry. I was like, this is not the rules. Why did you not follow the rules? Like, this is Mm -hmm. not okay. And I got a lot of, we thought you didn't want to be there. He said, you didn't want to be there. And I'm like, this absolutely not okay. And I still to this day, use my voice when anything is happening. I honor my exes. I have to get permission. I ask him, I include like as much as he doesn't even have contact right now or writes to his kids. And I still say, this is what's happening. Do I have your permission? Do I, you know, and so it's showing my kids that even though we've been wronged, we don't have to wrong back. And so, um, use your voice, use your voice. Um, you know, use your and he said, you're going to have to write your dad a letter and, you know, say you want to do this and all this stuff and let's make sure it's done the right way. And so teaching your kids, teaching your, have it be a teaching opportunity. And so, um, use your voice in the legal system. Um, I have been had to be brave and say to the judge a couple of times, I'm sorry, but this is not okay. This is, mm-hmm. this is against the law. You said, and now you're doing this. And I've had to be brave in sharing things that I knew could be used against me. Um, I had to brave in saying something has to change. So use your voice. And I mean, you're able to use your voice too, going back to number four, because you've educated yourself. So you've Mm -hmm. been able to be brave to the judge and say, excuse me, Mr. or Mrs. Judge, this isn't okay. Because Mm -hmm. you've educated yourself. You know what's right and what's wrong. And that's phenomenal. And especially, I think it's really important, you know, my ex has been told he's going to jail over and over and over and over and over for not paying and, and falsifying paperwork and, you know, all these things and over and over and still hasn't happened. And it's still in writing that if you do not do this by this, and, um, I finally get to the, got to the point where I said, when are we going to, when are we going to uphold the law and what you've said? Like, when are we going to, um, you know, there's certain things, obviously you can't be disrespectful and obviously you can't, you know, anything, but there's some things where you need to stand up and say, this is not okay. This is not okay. And here's what I know to be true. And sometimes I have to do it through my attorney. And sometimes she directly talks to me and I speak my truth and I say, this is not okay. You know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, of course you have to do it the legal way, but just using your voice, don't, don't cower back in a chair and just take whatever's being said and handed to you. which leads me to number six. And this is the most important part is healing. And you have to heal over and over and over and over again. Um, in the process of healing, you have to separate the lies from the truth. And if it is taking it, writing it down, here's the truth. Here's the lies that have been said about me. Here's the truth in what I went through and what I experienced. Here's the lies that we're told or whatever. You have to separate the truth from the lies. I went through after trial and everything that they said about me. 
um, you know, his current wife and him and, and two friends and whatever, everything they said about me, I went through and I took that and I printed out the final report from the judge and I crossed out every lie. And I looked at it and I was like, here's my truth. And so you have to heal over and over and over again. And I was just telling someone that even when I feel like I am on my way and I'm healed and I'm doing great, there's things like coronavirus that trigger me that, you know, there's certain things where I see they're playing with their kids and, you know, doing the homeschooling stuff. And it's just like this massive trigger. And so once you separate the lies from the truth, it's so much easier to go back through the steps all over again and go through them quicker and heal faster. And we have a saying in our house that we feel, deal, and heal. So we feel what's going on. We acknowledge it. How do we deal with it? We do go to therapy. We educate ourselves. We stay rooted. We stay grounded. We move our bodies. We do all these things. And then Mm -hmm. we heal. And the healing process is choosing joy, loving life. How is this rigged in our favor? What can we be grateful for? But acknowledging that you're probably going to go back through all those steps again. You're probably Mm going to say something has to change. I've hit rock bottom. You're going to have to get help. You're going to have to stand for your truth. You're going to have to go through all of those things again. But every time I've had to go through all of those things again, it gets a little bit easier. It gets a a little bit easier. And your list of separating the lies from the truth grows. Your truth grows longer and your lies grow smaller. And so it's just acknowledging that process and what it, what it takes. Right. Yeah. And we talked about right before um, we, we started recording, we talked about going through, you know, kind of taking maybe five steps back and you know, going through the emotions and the triggers and just feeling, you know, maybe really down. Um, and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I've come so far. How can I be at this point right now? But mm-hmm. yep. it's just another opportunity for growth and for learning. And like you said, yep. it gets a little bit easier each time. So, you know, have you taken 20 steps back? No, you've taken just a few steps back, but, and you're going to, you're yep. going to move right, you know, 10 steps forward. So it's, it's really important to allow those feelings to just happen. Don't, yeah. don't ignore those feelings. They're there for a reason. And like you yeah. said, you feel, deal, heal. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and then we yeah. And, and the thing I, I tell my kids all the time and we focus on is that we have to feel, deal, and heal in the moment because the more we bury it and we more we, it's so much harder to dig out of. Mm-hmm. And so I'd rather take one or two steps back, feel, deal, heal, and move forward than just shove it down, shove it down, shove it down. And then all of a sudden we are like seven miles back and it's a yeah. long, hard, messy process to get forward. So if my, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling something, I feel it. I allow my kids to feel it. We check in and I'm like, what are we feeling right now? Nothing. Okay. Check in. What are we feeling right now? No, you know, and I don't ever want to push my kids to, you have to feel something. You have to be doing something, but just checking in to know it's okay to feel and deal on a regular basis. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, okay. So this has been amazing. I'm so glad we decided to do a part two of, of your story and your journey, because this second part is so incredibly important for, you know, the, the people listening and the people wondering, like, how do I even, where do I even get started? Um, so let's recap really quick. Um, what you so say, what would you call the six steps? I wrote it down six steps, uh, to thrive, but what, what do you call it? Um, I really haven't called it anything. I think it's just surviving, surviving trauma, surviving. I haven't really like put a name to it. It's just 
all of my notes and my journaling. And I think it's just a matter of, I, I would just call it life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just thriving through the trauma. Like I just, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> this um, is just something I've shared with people who've come to me like, what do I do? What do I, and I just, this is what I share. So yeah. So, I mean, it's, it all kind of just, you know, works together next first steps and here, here are six steps to, to get you started. Yeah. So, you know, acknowledge, get help, stay rooted, educate, use your voice. And, you know, the final step is just that healing, which um, mm. I think that, you know, you, you're healing, you continue to heal. And you know, you're, you're even using these things. Now you're using your voice and your education to help others, which is, um, which is phenomenal and fantastic. And thank you so much again for, for doing part two. Um, and if you wouldn't mind just telling the audience where they can um, find more about, you know, next first steps and um, just get connected with you. Yeah. So it's just next underscore first underscore steps. Um, I'm just Allison Eastman on Facebook and Instagram. Um, my, my Instagram is private now. My Facebook is mostly private. So you can shoot me a message and just say, um, I'm here from Sonia's podcast or dear past. Thank you podcast. And I'd love to add you. Um, my website hopefully is up and running soon. I, it's just been one of those things that, oh, I've just been dragging my feet, but that will be up and running soon. And ways that you can help and, um, help in your area and on a broader thing. And I just want to leave with one quote that has helped me so much is it's a simple quote. And my good friend who I started the t-shirt stuff with, um, sent it to me one day and it just said, yesterday is heavy, set it down. And that is one thing that literally every night before I go to bed is I'm like, yesterday was heavy, set it down. And I think that's, probably one of the hardest things to do, but one of the most important things to do as we thank our past for what we've been through, but move forward. I love that. That is a, a really, really good quote. I love that. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Thank you again so much and um, best of luck to you. And I hope thank I, you. I hope here I hope you know in the next six months you have like some updates that you want to share about you know things that are going on in your life and so um yeah I'm really excited for your future anytime thank you